70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. Chào các bạn, mình tên là Trần Văn Thắng. Mình là một giáo viên tiếng Anh cũng là một giáo viên tiếng Việt đang sinh sống và làm việc tại Thái Bình của Việt Nam. Hi, my name is John Ban Tang. I live in Taipin in Vietnam and I teach English and Vietnamese. I started listening to KBS World Radio in 2012. KBS World Radio has been introducing me to Korea's economy, culture, society and more, broadening my understanding of the country. Just as I started to think about visiting Korea, I came across an opportunity to go in 2018. During my week-long stay in Korea, I went to various museums and cultural heritage sites. I was deeply impressed by how Korea takes care and respects its cultural assets. Congratulations, KBS World Radio, on your 70th anniversary. Seventy years with KBS World Radio, seventy years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. Hello, it's Monday, the thirteenth of February, and welcome to Korea Twenty Four. I'm your host, Kwon jang The death toll from the massive earthquake that struck Turkey and Syria last week has topped 34,000. South Korea has pledged to provide more support for rescue and recovery efforts. We'll have the latest in news briefing shortly. Fine dust pollution plagued the nation once again last week, triggering emergency response measures in the capital, central and eastern regions. We'll discuss the causes and what more can be done for our in-depth today. And coming up for Monday's Sports Roundup, we have updates on a golden weekend for Korean athletes on the ice. We have all that and more on today's Korea 24. The death toll from the 7.8 magnitude earthquake in Turkey and Syria continues to rise. So far, it has reportedly topped 34,000, but that number is still thought to be far from the final count. For more on this story and our other headlines from today, I'm joined in the studio by KBS World Radio News Editor Daniel Che. Daniel, hello. Hello there, Jango. So it's been a week now since the devastating quake. And the so-called golden time of 72 hours to find survivors has long gone. Although there are still sporadic stories of people being found alive, miraculously, the death count is climbing to staggering heights. Can you update us on the latest? Well, various media outlets, including CNN and Al Jazeera, report more than 34,000 people have been confirmed dead across Turkey and Syria. Tens of thousands injured after the earthquake struck Turkey and Syria last week. And between Monday and Saturday, the area experienced more than... 2,000 aftershocks, according to Turkey's FAAD Disaster Authority. UN Relief Chief Martin Griffith said he expects the death toll to at least reach 50,000. The death toll from the quake in Syria could be much higher than the official tally, partly due to difficulty in compiling data amid the ongoing civil war. 
Relief efforts have been complicated by the civil war as well. U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Linda Thomas-Greenfield on Sunday urged UNSC to approve additional access points to deliver aid to parts of Syria hit by the quake. A spokesperson for the White House National Security Council said all humanitarian assistance must be permitted to move through all border crossings. The U.N. has said at least 870,000 people urgently need hot meals across Turkey and Syria. And in Syria alone, up to 5.3 million people are reportedly homeless. According to Reuters, in the, the latest quake is the world's sixth deadliest natural disaster in the 21st century. Meanwhile, on Monday, President Yoon Sang-yeol ordered officials to mobilize all available resources to help Turkey, vowing to also support the country's reconstruction. This is, of course, on top of the help that has already been sent. That's right. According to top office spokesperson Yi Do-wen, the president instructed related ministries to mobilize all available resources to secure relief goods and promptly discuss further response measures with Turkey during a meeting with senior secretaries. He added the Korean ambassador to Turkey will meet with the head of Korea's Disaster and Emergency Management Agency to find out in detail what's needed on site. He also explained that a second group of disaster relief team will be leaving for Turkey on a military aircraft this Thursday, along with 150 tents and over 2,200 blankets, much-needed items over there. Some 300 medical staffers are waiting to be sent as well, including 29 who are ready to depart within a week. In a separate meeting with Prime Minister Han Dok-su, Yoon emphasized the need to support Turkey as it is a brother nation that up South Korea during the Korean War. As for the South Korean team that's already dispatched to the country, we have updates about their search and rescue operations. Uh, what can you tell us? Well, according to the Foreign Ministry, the South Korean disaster response team dispatched to Turkey rescued two more survivors on Saturday, a 17-year-old man and a 51-year-old woman from the same building in Antakya's at 7.18 p.m. and 8.18 p.m. The teenager was unconscious. The woman was in good condition. This is in addition to the rescue of a 65-year-old woman on the same day. So far, the team rescued eight people since starting its mission on Thursday. The team will continue high-intensity search and rescue operation in regions where potential survivors may be found. Okay, let's turn to some other headlines now. The floor leader of the main opposition, Democratic Party, said he will push for a special counsel investigation into First Lady Kim Gunny's alleged involvement in the case of stock manipulation of Deutsche Motors. Can you tell us more? Well, this came during a speech at the National Assembly on Monday. DP floor leader Park Hong-gun said last Friday's court ruling on the case is the outcome of an insufficient investigation by the prosecution and ambiguous judgment by the court. Accusing the prosecution, the court and the top office of colluding to protect the First Lady, Park said nothing should be off-limits in pursuit of justice, which can only be achieved through a special prosecutor's probe. On Friday, Kwon Su, the former head of local BMW car dealer Deutsche Motors, was handed a suspended prison sentence after he was found guilty of manipulating the company's stock prices. The case drew public attention after the DP alleged that the first lady was also involved. The fellow leader also denounced the prosecution's probes against opposition figures, including DP chief Lee Jae-myung, on various corruption charges, criticizing the president for privatizing the prosecution's authority for political oppression and retaliation. Turning to the ruling People Power Party, in the race for the party chairmanship, Kim Gi-hun and An Tosu continued a heated exchange of words on Monday over a comment Kim made on the weekend. Can you tell us more? 
This debate surfaced after Kim said last Saturday that if those in power and newly emerging forces collide, the party could be destroyed, raising concerns of an impeachment. And denounced Kim's comment the following day, saying via social media that it was inappropriate for someone aiming to become party chair to mention a presidential impeachment. Appearing on a radio program on Monday, Kim claimed that Ahn had distorted his remarks and urged him to refrain from making comments that could harm the party. Kim said he was talking about the party's past experience with the impeachment of a president after the party suffered from internal strife resulting from a clash between those in power and rising forces in the party. On Monday, Ahn urged Kim to apologize to the public for making remarks that could be misinterpreted. Meanwhile, the prosecution is seeking an arrest warrant for a financial manager of Sangbangul Group. That's amid allegations that the former chair of the group, Kim Sung-tae, sent millions of dollars to North Korea to fund a visit to the regime by the main opposition Democratic Party chief, Lee Jae-myung. Well, the Suwon District Prosecutor's Office said on Sunday it asked the court to issue a warrant to arrest the man identified by surname Kim on several charges, including violating the Foreign Exchange Transaction Act with the alleged remittance to the North. The bookkeeper is the husband of Kim Sung-tae's younger sister. He worked as the head of finances for Sangbangwo for over 10 years and is suspected of involvement in the procurement of funds sent to the North via two shell companies set up by the former group chief. Kim Sung-tae is accused of handling over 8 million U.S. dollars to North Korean officials in 2019, including $5 million for a smart farm business project there, and $3 million to arrange a visit by the DP chief who was the governor of Gyeonggi province at the time. He denied any connection to the case. In other news, the police have questioned former Army Chief of Staff Nang Yang-shin as a part of a probe into allegations that a fortune teller was involved in the relocation of the presidential residence. So, can you tell us more about this story? Well, we have an interesting figure and a name coming up, which could come up in future stories again. A Seoul Metropolitan Police Agency official said on Monday that Nam was questioned recently over claims raised by former Defense Ministry spokesperson Pu Seung-chan that a fortune teller called Chun Gong visited candidate sites for the presidential residence last March. The former spokesperson asserted that he had heard about Chun Gong's tour from Nam last April, prompting police to question Nam after grilling a senior official who had worked in Nam's office. Last March, Pu published a book presenting the claim that Chun Gong visited the official residence of the Army Chief of Staff as proof that the fortune teller meddled in the relocation of the presidential residence. The presidential office filed a complaint with the police against Pu and two journalists who first covered the related story. Chun Gong, who describes himself as a fortune teller, has reportedly claimed that he has been providing advice to President Yoon. The opposition has suspected the president of maintaining close ties with him. That's where we'll leave it for our news briefing today. Thank you for those updates. Thank you for having me. The COVID-19 mask mandate might have been lifted for most places last month, but many in South Korea have continued to wear them, in part due to the nation being blanketed by fine dust pollution recently. In response, emergency fine dust reduction measures were enforced in the capital area and other central and eastern regions last week. But it was an unwelcome development, especially with recent data showing that last year the country saw a record low number of days with bad fine dust density levels. 
To talk about the fine dust pollution issue that continues to plague the nation, we have joining us on the line now Professor Sonu Young from the Department of Civil and Engineering at Kongguk University. Professor, thank you for your time today. Thanks for having me. First off, can you tell us about the fine dust pollution levels that we have seen recently? How bad has it been? Well, it's obviously been pretty bad. Um, we had about four consecutive days of uh, fine dust warnings in most of Korea. And as you mentioned, we had the emergency fine dust reduction measures that were implemented for four days already. Um, we're only 40 days into the year, and then already we've had four days of the reduction measures. Um, but most of all, you can really tell that it's pretty bad because the people are talking about it. If you um, just meet anybody, um, you're talking about the bad um, PM situation. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's been pretty bad. Yes, indeed. It has been a, a talking point in Korea recently. So what have been the possible causes then, Professor? Why has it been so bad recently? Well, as you know, the um, revival in the economy, um, the bounce back from the COVID situation, I think, had something to do with it. Um, I've heard from so many people that um, when they go to the airport that it's completely packed and you see that a lot of traffic on the road. But you also see the unseasonably warm weather, and it's also been very stagnant. Um, you've heard about the Samhan Sami, um, the three days of um, cold air, and then on the four days of warm air used to be on the past, but now it's like four days of um, bad um, you know, PM pollution. Hmm. There's a lot of accumulation because of the slow moving air and also some chemical reactions. I don't want to get too technical, but basically wind speed is um, very low. So you don't have any many of the washing out of the um, dirty air and it's been very stagnant and accumulating. Right. So slow moving air coupled with uh, the revival of the economy post pandemic. Uh, what about from China in the past? Uh, it's often been said that China has been the source of much of the fine dust pollution. Uh, could there be fine dust coming from China as well? Oh, certainly. Um, and obviously, they are also bouncing back from the pandemic. So their um, you know, ec- economic activity level is up also. So, and we're in a perennial situation where we have winds blowing from the northwest and from China. So it's obviously going to have an impact. Now, as I mentioned, this uh, recent fine dust wave comes as some data from the Ministry of Environment showed showed that last year uh, the country had the fewest days of ultra-fine dust levels uh, reaching the bad level uh, since the ministry began compiling data in 2015. So bad is the third highest tier in a four-tier system of good, average, bad and very bad. Uh, So there were just 17 bad fine dust days in 2022 compared to the worst years of 2015 and 2016 when there were uh, 62 such days. Uh, There were also no very bad days last year. So, Professor, what do you read into this data? And does it suggest that the fine dust levels have been improving or was last year an outlier? You mentioned how uh, the fact that... uh, the economy was down last year due to the pandemic uh, reasons. Right. And I was in um, various meetings for, for this kind of, you know, governmental uh, reaction to these um, PM situations. And for the last couple of years, I've always said to these government officials that um, you shouldn't be too optimistic. And again, it's the same reasons that I talked about with your previous question is that um, the COVID situation obviously is having a big impact. Um, for the entire world, actually, so China and Korea. 
And then the uh, meteorological conditions have been very advantageous um, to this particular matter um, pollution situation for the past two years. It's not just um, that it's been bad um, for the past couple of weeks. It's been bad. Uh, it's been very favorable, meaning that it's um, been favorable to have um, less pollution for the past couple of years. But that's not going to last. It, you know, you see it a lot with the um, the climate situation, where um, you know everybody's worried about climate change. But then, if you have a couple warm, winter, uh, cold summers or cool summers, then you know people immediately say that where's climate change? But mm. that's not the case. I mean, you're going to have annual fluctuations, but you have to look at the long-term trend and the over overall trend is sort of decreasing, but we can't, um, you know, be overly optimistic. We still have a lot of work to do. Right. So we have to look at the long term picture rather than perhaps going by year by year. But then still this year, do you feel like the fine dust levels uh, are going to be bad this year? As we said, it's only been 40 days in, but we've already had four days of uh, bad fine dust levels. Yeah, um, and again, uh, compared to the past couple of years, I think the meteorological situation is not that advantageous. So compared to the last couple of years, I'm expecting it to be a little um, on the upper side of higher pollution. But again, it's very difficult to predict that much um, longer into the future. Sure. Well, let's look at some of the response measures that have been taken now. Last week, South Korea implemented emergency fine dust reduction measures for the capital area and other central and eastern regions. Uh, When are such measures taken and what do these measures involve, Professor? Yeah, um, as you mentioned, the uh, emergency fine dust reduction measures only apply for the capital area. So from a spatial standpoint, it only applies to Seoul, Gyeonggi Province and Incheon City. Um, the requirement for something, this emergency measure to become implemented is that if two of the three um, regions that I talked about satisfy any of the following um, three conditions. So you look at, like, for example, today we, um, uh, we're past 5 now, but um, at a certain day at 5 p.m., if the um, average PM 2.5 concentration, if the fine dust concentration uh, from 0 a.m. to um, 5 um, p.m. Um, is exceeding 50 micrograms per cubic meter, and the prediction for the next day average is higher than 50, then uh, it's implemented. Mm. That's one condition that can be um, the, the condition. The other one is um, similar. It's up till 5 p.m. if there's been a warning um, issued or a severe warning issued in any of the regions, and you have a next-day prediction of over 50, then it's also implemented. Right. And then the final condition is if you have a next-day prediction for the average daily concentration um, being over 75 micrograms per cubic meter, then it's implemented. It's kind of complicated, but basically these three conditions, if any of those conditions are satisfied in two of the three uh, regions, then the emergency um, findings reduction measures are implemented. Okay, and what do the measures involve? What do they do? It's pretty much everything. You know, we have reductions in mobile sources, industry reduction in industry actual activity, um, construction sites where they're having a lot of construction. You um, tone that down. Uh, even um, heating, um, road cleaning is vamped um, up. And then they try to um, send out messages to uh, reduce exposure to people to stay inside. And then a I... whole bunch of other things also, but, yeah. <laughs> I see. And what's your assessment of these measures? How effective are they in reducing fine dust levels? 
Well, as you mentioned a little while ago, um, in the beginning of this PM disaster, um, a lot of blame was um, placed on China. And there's a, you know, um, definitely a um, reason to do that. Um, and experts usually say in a very crude sense that about 40 to 50 percent on average comes from overseas. Um, during the high concentration episodes, maybe about 70 to 80 percent. So a lot of it has to do with, you know, um, import from overseas. Mm. But again, we can't just, you know, stand around and do nothing, right? Um, there is a certain domestic contribution to it. So we can't just um, blame other people for it. And we have to do our part. And the effectiveness of our measures depends on which type of event it is. If it's, you know, obviously if it's domestically um, initiated, obviously we'll have a bigger impact. If it's coming from China or somewhere overseas, the impact's going to be minimal. But again, we have to do our due. Mm. One of the more disturbing observations, um, we have, obviously, I'm um, working in this area, and we're having um, research into this area at Kansas University. And we had about 10 episodes in the last five months that we're looking into. Unfortunately, the episodes are getting a little longer. And um, most of these episodes, were due to stagnant accumulation. And even when there was transfer from outside, um, it was added on to the domestic accumulation. So mm. we might see a little uptick in the domestic contribution compared to um, contribution from overseas. Right. So uh, because of that, uh, South Korea has to do its part to try and control the situation right. uh, with these emergency measures in more longer-term solutions as well. There was some announcement last week. The Ministry of Environment announced that it plans to reduce ultra-fine dust levels at subway platforms uh, nationwide. Uh, that's by 17% by 2027. They plan to test out dust-collecting carriages and expand its uh, real-time uh, ultra-fine dust monitoring system to subway, trains, tunnels and platforms. Uh, there's also plans to introduce air quality control guidelines mm-hmm. catering to each public facility by the end of this year. What do you make of these sorts of plans as well? Okay. One, I don't want me to be a professor so much, but I need to correct you one of the terms that we're using. Um, the ultrafine dust particles, the American term, or the English term, I um, should say, um, of ultrafine dust particles is not really what we're talking about here. Um, okay. Uh, which is what we are um, alluding to, is fine particles. That's PM2.5. When you say ultrafine dust particles in the scientific sense, that means PM 0.1. So there's some confusion with the nomenclature there, but again, it's just fine particles. Um, yeah, there, it's, um, there's been an evolution of um, the uh, reduction, me- well, um, the measures that government has um, implemented to try to redu- uh, reduce the um, damage by fine particles. Um, originally, people used to look at the government used to look at just the emissions from cars or um, you know factories, the um, stacks and stuff. Then they used to look at just the concentrations, and now they're more interested, which is correct, the, which is going the correct direction. They're more interested in the exposure, mm. how much people are exposed to these high concentrations. Obviously, you can have a con- uh, you know a very high concentration way out in the boondock somewhere, and it won't impact anybody. But if you have significant concentration levels that are very high, that a lot of people are exposed to, uh, obviously it's much more important. Um, when the WHO, the World Health Organization, announced that um, a few years back 
that um, PM pollution is a carcinogen, and the PM pollution kills about 7 million um, people per year around the globe. 3.6, so over 50% of that, um, uh, of the, uh, the people who are dying from PM pollution was from indoor pollution. Okay, mm. not outdoor pollution. So right. the governmental activities um, trying to reduce our exposure um, in subways or in department stores and other places are obviously very important measures, and we're going the right direction. And even for going even further, um, you know, the government is also implementing a lot of measures to try to um, protect the vulnerable population. You know, like the elderly, um, the very young, who are more susceptible to this kind of um, damage from um, PM pollution. Right, so you have a positive assessment of uh, the government's uh, subway uh, plans. Uh, mm-hmm. So then what more efforts do you think the South, Co- South Korean government should be uh, taking at this point to better control the fine dust levels in the country? Uh, is there more that Korea could do, especially when, as we said, there is quite a lot that comes from overseas as well? Yeah, well, when this first, um, when this PM, you know, particular matter epidemic uh, first started in about 2016, 17, um, I just attended a whole bunch of meetings and basically the government and all these so-called experts dug out practically any and every um, reduction measure that was possible, um, you know, and it was like updated like every even less than a year for those um, few years. Um, I think we have almost all the measures that we need that are on paper. Mm. But the important thing is is to enforce them. Okay. Right. A lot of the measures, um, they are not being implemented properly. A lot of the measures are not being implemented um, because they aren't being enforced. To, you know, people, uh, companies, um, very few of them, but still some companies are trying to cut corners and trying to not, you know, um, obey the, uh, the new rules. Right, such so, as, I mean, what sort of rules are we talking about? Well, the emissions of um, volatile organic compounds, um, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, ethane and all these ethylene and all these kind of materials come from, usually a lot of it comes from very small companies. And obviously, small company um, regulation and management is much more difficult than the large companies. So we have to be more detailed in our efforts to try to, um, you know, curtail this um, kind of uh, non, you know, not not obeying kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, and then we have to do, um, we're doing extensive monitoring. So um, proper analysis of the monitoring will also be um, need to be implemented. Um, the... Korea's measures are very, you know, extensive, but you have to realize that the WHO, um, and this is just a guideline, but um, a while back, the WHO um, decided to issue the guideline update for an annual um, guideline standard of five micrograms per cubic meter. And as you mentioned, um, we are going for like, um, we're about at 18 right now. I'm trying to get to 12 by 2032. The standard is 15. Um, and the WHO is obviously just a very high guideline that we're trying to achieve. But right. again, we still have to, you know, we still have more to go. And this um, notion that for the last couple of years that some government, and I mentioned this, some government officials had this attitude that it was almost done. You know, we've done everything we can, you know, finished and the concentrations have gone down, so we shouldn't worry about it. That's not the case. We haven't finished with uh, this problem yet. It's still going on, and I think we still have to worry about it. Yes, indeed. If anything 
uh, over the last few days, we can definitely see that it is a problem uh, that is ongoing. We certainly hope that uh, right. more is done so that we can all uh, breathe a little easier here in Korea, literally. Okay, we will have to wrap it up there. We've been speaking with Professor Son Young from Gongguk University. Thank you once again for your time today. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index fell 17.03 points, or 0.69% on Monday, to close the day at 2,452.70. The tech-heavy Kosdaq rose, however, gaining 0.11 points, or 0.01%, to close at 772.55. On the foreign exchange, the local currency weakened 12.1 Korean won against the U.S. dollar, closing the day at 1,277.31. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. We continue on now to Korea Trending, our daily segment where we take a look at some of the other news headlines that have been trending online today. And for that, we have our contributor, Walter Lee, joining us in the studio now. Walter, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, Jung-ho. It's always good to see you. Okay, so what topics do you have for us today? Okay, so we'll find out why some 50,000 households were left without tap water or suffered flooding in several districts in the Gwangju on Sunday. We'll also discuss a police investigation into the case of a five-year-old boy who was diagnosed with brain death after drowning during a swimming lesson. And finally, we'll learn the latest on the police probe into South Korean actor Yoo Ain's alleged drug use. Okay, let's head straight into that first story. Can you tell us more? Yeah, so the Gwangju Metropolitan Waterworks resumed the supply of tap water to households in several districts in Gwangju in the early hours on Monday morning. Now, initially, authorities had planned to resume the water supply sometime between 10pm and midnight on Sunday, but it was around 4am Monday when the process was completed. Now, the suspension on the tap water supply came at around 3.30am Sunday due to the malfunction of a discharge valve at the Doknam Water Purification Plant. Okay, so households were without tap water for up to an entire day then. Okay, so which parts of the city were affected by the suspension? Okay, so the Nam, Seoul and the Gwangsan districts were affected as the Doknam Water Purification Plant supplies water to households in these areas. Gwangju City estimates that some 50,000 households suffered as a result of the latest incident. Now, the latest valve malfunction also led to gallons of tap water flooding the streets and farmland near the water plant. Wow, 50,000 households mm. affected. That's pretty incredible. Uh, why did the resumption of uh, the water supply come later than initially expected. Okay, so it was necessary to first remove contaminants from the water pipes by flushing water from the Doknam plant into the reservoir. Now, this process took much longer than expected. The Gwangju Metropolitan Waterworks plans to investigate the cause of the valve malfunction. Yes, so thankfully it looks like everything is back to normal now, but uh, there will be many questions about how this could have been allowed to happen and whether something like this could happen again. Okay, let's move on to our second story now, and it is about a very tragic incident. Can you tell us more? Yeah, you're absolutely right there. So police have launched an investigation into the case of a five-year-old boy who was diagnosed with brain death 
after drowning during a swimming lesson. Now, according to Busan Jin Police Station on Sunday, the boy was wearing a life vest, uh, was found hooked onto the ladder of a pool located inside the apartment in Jin District at 7.45pm last Wednesday. The boy was transported to the hospital but was diagnosed with brain death and is currently on life support. When we say brain death, what do we mean by that exactly? Okay, so it is the permanent, irreversible and complete loss of brain function, including that of the cerebrum, in layman's terms, the thinking part of the brain, and the brain stem, the structure responsible for reflexes and breathing. Now, brain death is considered a legal definition of death. The hospital has recommended to the boy's parents that they take him off life support, but the parents have decided not to give up on their son. Yes, it's understandable that they would cling on to every hope, but sadly, it looks like it will be in vain. So can you tell us more about how this could have happened? Where was the swimming teacher and how, and uh, did the pool not have any lifeguards? OK, so according to the boy's parents, surveillance footage showed another child asking the swimming teacher for help shortly after the boy fell into the water. The parents claimed that rescue efforts were delayed by two to three minutes after the teacher failed to determine what was going on because they were speaking with other students from a distance. And unfortunately, yes, there were no lifeguards present at the time. Right, so first, because it was a private community pool, understand that it was not legally required for there to be a lifeguard present. And CCTV footage has been released, and it does look like it's just a terrible accident. Mm. Uh, the child, he got stuck, as you said, uh, with his life vest. It got stuck in the uh, ladder that uh, they used to get out of the pool. And it seems the teacher did not understand that the other child was calling for help but it was too late by the time he realised that something was going on. Uh, there has been some criticism that the pool was perhaps too deep for these lessons to be taking place for such young children. How mm. deep was it? Well, it's 1.4 metres deep, and take note that the boy was just a little over one metre tall. Now, a police official said that the police are questioning pool staff regarding what happened that day. Yes, of course, a thorough view will be needed, but it is a terrible incident, and our thoughts go out to the family and also the instructor, who I'm sure will have been traumatised by the incident as well. Mm. Let's uh, move on to our final story for today. What else do you have for us? Yeah, so police plan to summon South Korean actor Yoo In for further questioning pending the results of the National Forensic Service's drug test on Yoo's hair. An official from the Seoul Metropolitan Agency revealed the plan to reporters on Monday, saying that test results are expected to come out in two to three weeks. The Seoul Police Agency requested the Forensic Service con conduct a drug test using hair and urine samples from Yoo shortly after the actor Turned from the US on February 5th. Now, he is suspected of habitually using propofol, a psychotropic drug, and marijuana. Yes, you mentioned that the police are waiting for the results of the test on the actor's hair. Mm -hmm. But does this mean that they already have the results from the urine sample test that uh, I understand that they have carried out as well? Yes, they do. So, and the results show you tested positive for marijuana. Now, the police also said on Monday that they are not currently considering taking you into custody while adding that they will closely study the drug test results. Right, so marijuana is involved as well now, it seems. Understand that use uh, fans have spoken up against the latest allegations against the A-list actor. What have they been saying? Yeah, that's actually correct. So in a statement released last Saturday, the actor's fan community, the UIN Gallery, on the online platform DC Inside, called on you to immediately provide an explanation regarding the latest allegations, stating that 
It's an obligation that you himself has claimed should be observed by someone in the spotlight. The fans asked where Om Hong Shik has gone to hide since the actor is known for being outspoken when it comes to social issues. Now, Om Hong Shik is actually Yu's real name. Mm. Meanwhile, fans also denounced the police for violating Yu's human rights, saying it is wrong for details of the investigation to have been disclosed via the media. Yes, this case has certainly caused quite a stir, and I think it is one we'll be talking about again soon. But for now, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you for bringing us those stories, Walter, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. We continue on now to our weekly segment, Monday Sports Roundup updating you on the latest from the world of Korean sport. And we do that with the help of our trusted contributor, sports reporter Yu Ji-ho from the Yonap News Agency. Ji-ho, hello and happy Monday. Yeah, happy Monday to you too. OK, so this week it is a bit of a winter sports special roundup as it was a golden weekend on the ice for Team Korea. First up, it's figure skating because South Korea led the field at the Four Continents Championships over the weekend. South Korean teenager Ihein captured her first gold medal at the women's singles. And in fact, Team Korea made it a 1-2 after Kim Yerim finished in second place as well. So Jiho, a very good weekend for Korean figure skating. And I understand that Yi's uh, gold is the first Four Continents title for Korea since the one and only Kim Yuna in 2009. Yeah, uh, it's been that long since the Korean skater last won a four-continent title on the women's side. Of course, we had a Cha Jun Hong winning the men's gold medal last year, but Yi Hae-in, all of 17 years old, is the first one, uh, first woman from Korea to win it in 14 years. And she performed a flawless free skate in Colorado Springs to come all the way back from sixth place after the show program to the top of the podium at the end. Uh, she led all skaters with 141.71 points in the free skate for a total of two, 210.84 points. Uh, Kim Yerin posted a best show program score with 72.84 points, but she managed only 136.45 points in the free skate after making a couple of mistakes with some triple jumps in her program. So Ian Kim, they went silver and bronze last year. And they each did one, one better this time, gold and silver. Uh, they're the first Koreans to win medals at back-to-back four continents. Uh, we talked about Kim Yana winning her gold in 2009, but she did not compete in the four continents afterwards. So uh, Yi and Kim Yerim making uh, Korean figure skating history in Colorado Springs. Sure. And so Yi, with her gold, is now following in some big footsteps of uh, Kim Yana. Uh, but she has had a strong junior career, right, and has been uh, coming along li- nicely since uh, making her senior debut two years ago. Yeah, you know, she won a couple of junior Grand Prix gold medals and then finished 10th in her first the Senior World Championships in 2021. And she has been in the top three at the National Championships for the past five editions. In fact, there are times when she's been too young to qualify for the Senior World Championships despite finishing high enough at the national competition. So she'd been beating skaters that are, you know, two, three, four years old, four years older uh, for a few years now. And now finally she's old enough to compete uh, at the senior level. And her third world championships coming right up in March, uh, you know, with the Russian skaters still being banned from international competitions because of their country's 
uh, invasion into Ukraine. Uh, that has opened the door for, uh, you know, someone like Lee Hain, uh, skaters from Japan, some other parts of the world to kind of crash into the, through their opening. So, uh, of course, uh, four continents, it's a competition for skaters from continents other than Europe. So um, the Russia wasn't really a part of, occasion, part of the equation anyway, but mm. uh, still an impressive uh, title for Lee Hain. And I'm sure it was a confidence builder going into the World Championships. Sure. So we'll see how she does in the World Championships coming up next month. Uh, Meanwhile, what about the men's competition at the Four Continents? Uh, You said there was a defending champion from Korea uh, this time as well. Right. I touched up on Cha Jun-hwan winning the Four Continents last year, but this time he finished in fourth place. 250.14 points. He was nine full points out of third place and more than 30 points behind the champion, Kawa Miura of Japan. Uh, Chao was only fifth after the show program, and posting the fourth-best frisky score was not enough uh, for the Korean. Among other Koreans, uh, Lee Si-hyung finishing sixth place, and Kyung Jae-suk ended up in the twelfth place in the men's singles. OK, so moving on, but as we said, staying on the ice, short track speed skater Park Ji-won has been crowned the men's overall World Cup championship, champion and uh, captured the inaugural Crystal Globe trophy. That also came over the weekend. So Korea once again showing its dominance in the discipline. Ji-ho, he has been absolutely crushing it this season, hasn't he? And uh, wasn't seriously challenged at the top. Yeah, you know, he's been the most dominant short tracker this season, quite frankly. And he added three gold medals over the weekend in the Netherlands at the final World Cup stop to raise his season total to 14. Uh, there's you know, a bunch of uh, relay gold medals thrown in there as well. And he scored 1,068 points in total uh, with compatriot Hong Kyung-hwan finishing a distant second with a 674 points. So this is Park Ji-won's second career World Cup overall title after 2019-2020 season. But he's the uh, inaugural winner of this new trophy, the Crystal Globe Trophy. The International Skating Union created this trophy to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the World Cup Series. Uh, it's a pretty good-looking trophy. It's huge. Uh, you know, Park capped it off, capped off his successful World Cup campaign with the 1,000-meter and the 5,000-meter relay titles on Sunday. Following that up, uh, actually, before coming before that was 1,500-meter gold medal on Saturday. So he won at least one gold medal at every World Cup stop, six of them all. Uh, he can put the icing on the cake at the World Championships in Seoul, actually, next month. Uh, you know, here's a guy who had been in the shadows of the guys like Hwang Dae-hun and Lee Myo-jun, uh, a couple of uh, Olympic gold medalists. But Hwang Dae-hun is not competing this season. He kind of set out the national trials last year. Lee Myo-jun, of course, is now competing for China as a Lin Xiaojun. Uh, he won a couple of medals in the World Cup, uh, but he's out of the picture as well. So Park Ji-won has really come into his own this season, one of the top favorites to win the world title, of course, next, next month in Seoul. Yes, and the home crowd will be behind him. And finally, in speed skating, Korean sprinter Kim Min-sun won yet another World Cup title in the women's 500 metres. She has won all five World Cup races so far this season. Ji-ho, an incredible run. It, is a, it has indeed been an incredible run. Uh, you, you know, if they were handing out this trophy, like in the short track, she would win this easily. Uh, Kim Min-sun winning her fifth leg of the ISU World Cup in Poland over the weekend. With a time of 30, 37.90 seconds, she was the only one to crack 38 seconds on this day. 
she's not lost any official 5mm race at all this season at home and abroad. Uh, five for five at the World Cups. Uh, she won the uh, Four Continents Speed Skating Gold Medal and also Wharton University Games Gold Medal and also domestically National Winter Sports Festival. So she must be wishing the Olympics will be this year, not last year, <laughs> because she finished out of the medal in Beijing. But she's really coming on strong. Uh, the last leg of the World Cup is actually this coming weekend back in Poland, back on the same match surface. Uh, she's going to try to do something that, that has not been done in the World Cup uh, history. Uh, no one has gone undefeated in any race in an entire World Cup season. And she's now one victory away from making history. Sure, already an incredible achievement, but we'll certainly be wishing her well for that final race this weekend. OK, we'll wrap it up there. Jiho, thank you for that roundup. Take care and we'll talk to you next time. OK, thanks for having me. Did you enjoy this segment? You can discover more segments like this throughout the week on Korea 24. On Monday, we bring you news from the world of sports around the peninsula. Then on Tuesday, notable guests from various fields join us and give us insight into their lives and work. Are you a fan of books? Then tune in on Wednesday for Korea Book Club, where our book critic helps us unpack works by Korean authors or written on Korea. Go on an adventure with us every Thursday as we take a look at Korea's hidden gems with Explore Korea. And on Friday, listen to what our film critics have to say about the latest movie releases from both home and abroad. We have all that you need, all in one place, on Korea 24. We finish up the show, as usual, with our closing segment, Morning Edition Preview, where we take a look at some interesting features and reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers, namely the Korea Times and the Korea Herald. And our staff editor, Richard Larkin, is taking a break over the next few days. So we have Emma Sparks filling in today, who has helped out on the show before. Emma, hello. Welcome back. Hello. Yes, it's uh, nice to have you back on the show. Thank you. Thank you you for helping out today. Okay, (laughs) so what stories for tomorrow have you brought for us? Um, I wanted to talk about ChatGPT today, the AI chatbot. Um, I heard you have some experience with it. Yes, a little bit, not a lot, but I have uh, played around with this tool. It is quite interesting and uh, quite fun. Have you tried it yourself? No, not at all. I've heard so much about it, though, that I feel I should try soon. Yes, it is an interesting tool to try out, definitely. It is a a very hot uh, topic at the moment for discussion, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, What what was your experience with it? Yes, I would say it writes very well, but uh, it writes well about 90% of the facts it gets right, I would say. Sometimes it gets some facts wrong, Mm -hmm. which if you don't know, then you might miss. So I think that's an important aspect of it. But anyway, why are we talking about this today? What does the article have to say about it? Um, so I wanted to talk about an interview with Kim Soo-hyun uh, that Kim Soo-hyun conducted for the Korea Herald in which she talks to Ji-yoon a Korean linguistics professor at the University of Oxford about ChatGPT. Mm. So obviously it's been spoken about extensively. Many people have used it. I've heard it's being used to um, 
cheat on homework assignments, etc. Yes. <laughs> Among various yes uh, uh, ways that's being used. Yes. Yes. Um, but she was talking about um, the limitations that chatbots have in other languages, which is something I'd never considered. Mm. She points out that they especially struggle with Asian languages. Interesting. So why is that? Well, for one, she says that AI chatbots are limited when it comes to learning from East Asian people, as East Asians have their own search engines and platforms mm. from the rest of the world. So she offered the example of China in particular, as ChatGPT is banned there, which cuts off over a billion people that the chatbot can learn from. Right, I see. Mm. Another reason she offered is the complexity of East Asian languages. Um, AI is limited in its ability to use context to add nuance, such as irony and sarcasm. <laughs> mm. So considering the complexities of hierarchy and nuance in languages such as Korean, which is the example she gave, she said AI translators struggle with those languages. So I don't know how long it'll be until the AI can grasp the concept of nunchi. Right. Yes, of course. That is a very good point. Uh, well, I think that's why a lot of companies in Korea are creating their own native chatbots. So I think that is something that will be more localised, uh, for now anyway. Yeah. Uh, we'll see perhaps if that changes in the future. OK, let's move on to our second story. What do you have for us? Uh, Dong Sun-hwa of the Korea Times wrote about the controversy surrounding a former K-pop star's comments on dating. OK. So Jin, who was a member of former K-pop group called Lovelies, has faced backlash for discussing on YouTube the ways in which K-pop stars find the time to date despite their busy lifestyle. Mm. She said she will take legal action against people who leave spiteful comments on her Instagram account. Mm. However, it's her comments on the changes surrounding K-pop and dating that I found interesting. Sure. So what does she have to say about it? According to the article, entertainment companies are far less strict when it comes to the stars dating. She also mentioned that music shows offer stars good chances to mingle and get to know each other. Mm. So although this is a, still a controversial topic, we've seen more stars go public about their romantic lives and her fans are defending her as a result. So I hope this is a sign that things are improving for celebrities. Yes, things certainly are changing. Even a casual look at uh, variety shows nowadays, uh, celebrities talk more about such topics openly. But uh, it still can be a sensitive topic. So uh, I think it perhaps will be a while before it can be completely open. But yes, it is changing anyway. OK, we'll wrap it up there for Morning Edition Preview. Thank you for bringing us those stories, Emma. And uh, we'll talk to you again next time. See you next time. OK, that is where we're going to wrap up our show today. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow. So we hope you can join us again then. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye.